Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Richheimer, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to Pain Know-How, the official podcast of the online pain medicine program at the Keck School of Medicine at USC, the University of Southern California. I'm the program director. This podcast is dedicated to sharing evidence-based information to enhance the practice of any clinician that treats patients that experience pain. All our speakers are experts in their fields and they will provide listeners with the most up-to-date information. Thank you for listening. Now let's go to today's episode. Hello everyone. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Susan, for, for, for all that very useful information and all the data that you, that you uh, summarized for, about the benefits of, of, of uh, palliative care and, and 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 so much about pain at the end of life. So um, I'm I'm gonna use the time that we have left to talk a little bit of a, a little bit more of the clinical side. Um, I'm, I'm mostly going to be talking about a, a a case that we had here in the hospital. Um, I have no conflicts to disclose. So so let me start with 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 a, an important concept. That, that, that for those of you that have been doing this, this, this pain uh, uh, lectures and courses, you, you already know this very, very well that in pain for pain, perception matters a lot. So this is a case that was published in the literature uh, several years ago about a young man who stepped on a, on a nail. As you, can, as you can see there, there's a boot, boot and a, a nail going through uh, his foot. And it was such an... Uh, severe pain that this patient was having that when he came to the ER, he basically had to be sedated just to get the, the, the boot off of his foot and the nail out. And when they did that, they actually realized that um, he was not injured. The nail had actually gone in between his toes without harming him. Um, but his perception of this of this nail going through his foot was so powerful that he was in he was experiencing severe pain so much so that he needed to be sedation perception matters um, we know from research studies that um, when you have someone in, in, a, in a research scenario and you give them uh, they receive a painful stimulus and at the same time they're having sensory input that is a negative or, or, or unpleasant sensory input, be it visual or auditory or or, or a bad smell, uh, that they their per pain perception changes. They 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 report more pain when they're having uh, this uh, un uh, sensory input that is not pleasant. Um, same thing with emotions. Uh, when we show someone an Im when they're again in a laboratory and you show someone a painful, um, uh, you, you give someone a, a painful um, stimulus and they have an image of something that's distressing. That is more unpleasant, uh, the pain is more unpleasant. Um, and the opposite happens if you give them a pleasant, a pleasant image or a pleasant emotion. Uh, cognitive processes play a role as well. Attention, for example, if patients are paying, if someone is paying attention to the pain the whole time, they experience more pain. One of the strategies, non-pharmacologic strategies to deal with pain is actually distraction. Um, in terms of expectations or something called pain catastrophizing, that's as well important. So 
if someone is is um, worried that the pain will never never get better, if someone is is is, is, is their outlook is that their pain will never improve and, and that's how they're going to be, their pain actually is worse. It's harder to get it under control. And depression and anxiety play a role as well. So I, I want to think, you know, going back to the topic at hand of, of pain at the end of life, uh, think for a minute that um, you have cancer, you're anxious about the future, you're worried about your family, you worry about your work, you have nausea because you're receiving chemotherapy. And you keep asking yourself, why, why did this happen to me? The question is, will all this have an impact on your pain? And, and honestly, I don't know how we couldn't, right? Term was coined by, by Cecily Saunders, she's the mother of palliative care. And it's a recognition that pain is not purely a physical experience, but, it has, but that it has psychosocial, social, emotional, spiritual components. Um, this is a diagram from the International Association for the Study of Pain. And it really shows how very nicely how someone, for example, with cancer can have, there's a physical component, right? Uh, cancer caused by a tumor and then maybe comorbidities by their treatment, like, like Susan was mentioning. But also we need to think, take into consideration their anxiety and their depression and their fear of suffering and their past experiences with illness and their spiritual piece of whether or not they're angry at God or, or like what's happening with their faith, um, fears uh, of, of the unknown of death. Um, and socially also like maybe they're really, their main, they have physical pain, but really maybe their main concern is how, how are they gonna care for their family and, how are, and, 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 and their multi, multitude of feelings about about leaving their family behind and, and, and not knowing who will take care of them after they go. Um, so so many, so many different components that really play into how pain is experienced by people at the end of life. So um, I want to tell you guys about a case that we had here in the hospital um, that really puts uh, the, the concepts that I just described really helps to illustrate them. Okay. So um, this is a 56-year-old woman, African-American woman, who uh, had lupus and, and a history of lung cancer. Um, and she had had a partial pneumonectomy two years prior. Um, at this point, uh, it's, it seemed like her cancer was under control. Um, however, she kept coming. She, she was coming to the hospital for pain in her mid-back for the past year. And also, in addition to that, another pain that was burning on the right side of her chest. And this pain had been getting worse for months. Uh, the CT scan, the you know, imaging showed that there was a, a, what seemed like a mass in her liver. Uh, uh, and uh, sorry, I should say 2.5 centimeter liver mass. And, and, uh, and also she has lymphadenopathy or lymph nodes inside her abdomen and in the back of her abdomen. She, uh, people were wondering if maybe her cancer was coming back. So they did a biopsy and, uh, in the past and it had turned out to be negative. Currently she was on morphine, extended release, gabapentin to help with uh, neuropathic pain and also medication to help uh, whenever the pain was out of control, uh, which in, in this case they used hydromorphone. So 
you know, when we we consulted for this, uh, in this case, we obviously think about the physical components of what is the pathophysiology behind this person's pain? How can we explain it? Well, um, she's having this pain, on, a burning pain on her chest. And, and one question that came up is like, could it be a post-thoracotomy neuropathic pain? Um, so from the, uh, sometimes when someone has a surgery in their chest, they can have injuries of the nerves that run along, um, you know, close to the ribs, and that can leave the person with the chronic pain that comes from that nerve injury. So uh, medication to help with, with nerve pain, like gabapentin, that might be a good idea. So the question was, should we continue with it? Should we increase it? Should we use other adjuvants for this type of pain? Um, in terms of the pain that was occurring in her, in her, in her lower back, that actually could be potentially from the lymph nodes, the very large lymph nodes that she had in her deep, deep in her abdomen, almost almost all the way to her back. So um, could that be from the cancer coming back? Should we increase her opioids to help her be more comfortable? So this is the kind of thing that thinking of the physical perspective we need to consider. Um, but we really need to get to get our patient, get to know our patients better and, and really understand a little bit more about them in order to be able to, to help with, with pain that is uh, caused by cancer or when we think about, again, uh, pain, uh, uh, pain in general, really, when it's chronic. It, ideally, patients benefit from a, from a more holistic approach. So we, we, a little bit more information for you. So for the past few months, she had several admissions and several emergency department visits to several different hospitals. Um, she has been following in a pain clinic for one year. I, I actually spoke to her provider just to see if there were, uh, if what was, what's been happening lately and if there were any red flags. Uh, and, for, uh, and by that, I mean any concerns about uh, opioids being used in a way that were, they weren't supposed to. Unfortunately, our main drugs that we have for management of cancer pain or for pain at end of life, they are their opioids. And, 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 and unfortunately, as we all know, uh, there, there is the risk of opioids being misused. So when I spoke with her, with her doctor at the pain clinic, they, they thought that she, you know, she had been doing well in her pain control until really the past several, uh, you know, the past several months when things started to get out of control uh, with the pain. And, but they, and they, they thought that, you know, she, was not a patient that they were concerned about any misuse of opioids. Um, I, we have a registry in California called Cures where we can see every, every medication that someone, controlled medication that a patient is prescribed. And, and she only had one person who was prescribing her opioids. She didn't you know, have multiple prescribers, which sometimes is a concern. Um, she had two supportive daughters, daughters, but her home environment seemed stressful. And, uh, and the patient was actually very stressful, very stressed and very afraid that she, her cancer might be coming back. She just felt uh, something was wrong with her body. Um, we, we started to follow this patient and fast forward a, a couple of months. Uh, by then, you know, what ended up happening is that she would come into the hospital very frequently she would get IV opioids. She would say that only IV opioids work for her, um, which is, and, and sometimes we get concerned about that uh, because again, this is sometimes when we see patients um, 
either misusing opiates or 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 really using opiates for for reasons that are not necessarily just for pain management, but rather to to address other symptoms like anxiety or stress. Um, that, that this is something that we we sometimes see uh, that they might be uh, coming into the hospital saying that only IV opiates help. She would come and say that she would get several days of IV opiates. She would get discharged on higher doses of long-acting morphine. The pain would be controlled only for a few days, and then she would re re she would uh, represent to the hospital. Um, at some point, she was complaining of nausea and vomiting, and she couldn't take pills, so we switched her from morphine to a fentanyl patch to try to help, but that didn't stop uh, this cycle of readmissions. So, and uh, and that's when finally a lymph node biopsy demonstrated that her cancer actually had come back, that uh, the lymph nodes deep in her abdomen that were potentially leading to this abdominal pain, sorry, to this back pain were actually from cancer. So in order to help this patient, we really needed a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, so in our team, uh, palliative care team. We have doctors, we have nurses, we have nurse practitioners, we have a social worker, we have a chaplain. And um, we really try to uh, see patients from all different uh, aspects. Like whenever we round every day at 11, we talk about patients and their pain, but we also talk about everything else that's going on in their life. So one thing that we all, uh, you know, together we identified is how her anxiety was so severe. And that it was really playing a role in, in terms of her pain experience. Um, so pharmacologically, we decided that she would benefit from medication to treat her anxiety. Uh, a couple of them, uh, you know, an antidepressant when anxiolytic action, an SSRI, and also a long-acting benzodiazepine to help with anxiety. Um, we taught her how to meditate. Our chaplain and our social worker met with her they taught her how to meditate. They put a meditation app in her phone. And this is a, a, a behavior that kind of was encouraged and that we would coach her on how to do. And also from referral for outpatient counseling, because it, it was very clear that that um, she, she had a really hard time. Um, she was really having a hard time managing her anxiety. We noticed that chemical coping was an issue. And I started to, to mention this a little bit earlier. So the concept with chemical coping is that patients might use opioids not just for pain management, but they might use it for uh, addressing anxiety, for addressing depression, um, because their life is just so challenging with everything that's going on that uh, they use opioids to um, really take their mind off of their life, to check out for a few minutes. So. Um, in her case, she was having a serious difficulty processing her diagnosis, um, processing her pain, her emotions, and her family dynamics were very challenging. So some of the strategies that we instituted in order to um, address her, this, this issue with chemical coping and to, and to better manage her pain is that it's almost counterintuitive, but we, dis we, 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 um, we decided not to escalate opioids anymore. Um, and we decided to avoid IV opioids um, and, you know, to use as much as possible adjuvants and analgesics in addition to opioids. Um, 
and uh, but but avoid Ibuprofen as much as possible because it was becoming a a thing where she would come into the hospital for Ibuprofen really to get her mind off of everything that was going on in her life. And uh, and we had very close outpatient follow up with her. We would call her at home or see her in clinic very very uh, regularly, and she had her number. And she would call us, and so. Um, and another another thing that we we identified with her is that she was having she was um, seeking admissions for a break from her home life. Just being in the hospital was kind of a little bit of a, um, a, 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 a mental kind of time off from her, her family situation, where uh, there was a lot of tension in her family. She had a codependent relationship with her daughter, with her daughter, which um, which which made made things harder. So. Um, the way we manage that one is, is, is this concern is that we we opened up a dialogue between us and her and her family and and really talked about this concern and uh, and, um, and and finding trying helping the family come up with ways for for them to be able to uh, to address it uh, again our close up patient follow up and, and and that patient counseling was we also referred her for that. Um, It really took several months for us to be able to to uh, make a difference in this patient's life. But um, but I, but I, but through this multidisciplinary approach and through looking at her pain not just as something that needs to be treated with higher doses of opiates of analgesic or analgesics, we were actually able to to get her pain better controlled on stable analgesic regimens, not going up on opiates anymore. Her admissions decreased. She she was not in the ER every week or every other week anymore. She wasn't getting admitted as frequently. Um, she had improvement in her self awareness of of her how she was coping, how she was processing things, how she was how her family dynamics were, and 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 she had healthier coping strategies, and uh, and also her, her family was able to support her better. So it really did take a, a team effort in order to to be able to do this. Um, so let me let me just and talk a little bit about it. Some key points that I would say uh, that are you know illustrated from this case and just in general from our practice. Um, one and when we're talking about pain management at end of life, um, whole person assessments. I did ideally from a multidisciplinary team. I think that was very clear from the case I just described. We talk, we look at coping, we look at anxiety, we look at depression, at mental health in general, psychosocial stressors, stressors, family dynamics. All of that are things that we look at. Um, we assess patients' hopes and and help them set realistic expectations. Um, that's in you know in general for their life, but in particular related to pain management. It is very hard for a patient to sometimes realize that their pain is, uh, we might not be able to, to get it down to zero when someone has chronic pain and, and maybe it's from cancer or they're approaching end of life. Um, our goal is to try to get it to a tolerable level most of the day. And that's, that's helping patients understand that, then, uh, then we'll, 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 that will set, it up, set us up better for success. Um, then um, the idea of comfort based function. So if you're talking about pain management for someone who is not at the end of life, think of a 40 year old person with lower back pain, right? Um, our focus is not so much how comfortable are you? It is 
really much more how functional are you? Are you able to work? Are you able to take care of your kids? Are you able to sleep at night? Are you? That's really the, what matters very much for patients with chronic pain who are not at the end of life. But in terms of when someone is close to end of life, because of their illness, many times their functional their function is not very very good. Their functional status, we call it, is not very good. They're so weak because of their illness. So comfort really does become the the main thing we look at. Um, I, I, I want to emphasize that we use not just opioids, but we really try to use other medications as well, adjuvants, uh, adjuvant analgesics, be it for neuropathic pain or inflammatory pain or other types of pain. Um, and also we consider interventions um, when benefits outweigh burdens. Um, interventions that pain specialists or interventional radiologists can do sometimes, nerve blocks and that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and just to, again, summarize and something I mentioned before is if we just focus on the physical aspects of pain in isolation, we're not gonna be able to manage the pain completely. We're not gonna be able to do as much benefit as if we try to address as much as possible the psychological issues, which sometimes are, some, some of them are not easy to fix or, or to solve, but sometimes we, our goal is just to try to make things better. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Pain Know-How. If you want more information about our online programs, please visit our website at painmed.usc.edu or send an email to us at painmed.usc.edu. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.